Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Anybody, uh, the belt's a little tighter this morning? Ours. Mine might be. Hope your Thanksgiving celebration was a, a good one with family. And um, I want to go ahead and uh, say uh, kind of goodbye to that, that week. Not to being thankful. But I want to say goodbye to that so I could say something else. And that is this. Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> Just Merry Christmas to you. And I hope that you're going to spend a lot of time saying that this year. There are going to be a lot of great opportunities. I, I, I hope and pray that you, you'll, you'll take this thing called, we call it a newsletter. It gets called all kinds of things, but I call it a newsletter. And there are some great opportunities for connection and ministry. And I, I just hope you, you don't miss out. Um, it'll inform you about those opportunities. Just some incredible things. I, I think specifically about the things that God's doing all over the place and inviting us into that we celebrated last week and one of those places is Oak Brook Elementary School and God is at work there. Uh, he's at work in, uh, in, in the faculty and staff there. Uh, God has given us favor uh, in relationships and we get to not just do ministry there, we get to be ministry partners and one of the great ways that we're partnering together is this coming weekend uh, in Love Gave. And so I hope you'll make plans to participate in that uh, either Friday night or Saturday or you know, both and either or. A uh, great opportunity to bless the community and deepen relationships by serving together um, with our brothers and sisters uh, up there. Uh, it, Tuesday night right here. In, in this space and all over the building, um, folks are going to gather uh, to uh, to decorate this place as we celebrate uh, the season of Christmas. And I hope you'll come out for it. It is a great way to connect with people um, around decorating. And uh, you get to see people living dangerously on ladders that you never thought would. Um, people crawling under Christmas trees, getting stuck. Just some beautiful things together that we share as a family. And So you won't want to miss that. Um, another thing I, I just want to encourage you not to miss is on the joy of giving. Uh, and and I, I, can't, I can't encourage you enough to, to, to consider giving sacrificially and generously to the, the global missions offering. We call it Lottie Moon that Dave spoke with you about earlier. I hope you're praying and asking God what he would call you to give this year to that work. To take the good news of Jesus all around the globe. You know, this Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. And there'll be a lot of great organizations out there, you know, asking you to give to those. But I, I I just, there, there's nothing that humanity needs more than Jesus. And our missionaries are one of the pathways that we have to get the gospel out. And so supporting them is just a very, very important thing. And I, I pray that you will consider giving uh, generously there. Uh, as well as the ongoing work of River Bluff. Uh, we, we continue to, to, to try to do everything that God calls us to. And sometimes that strains our finances some. And so again, I, I unashamedly uh, ask you to consider making uh, your gifts uh, here uh, through the work of River Bluff. Um, all right, I, uh, how many of you love great epic stories? 
Anybody just, I love, I love great, great epic stories. That's one of the reasons I love going to the movies. Now, some of you would say, oh, that ain't a story, that's cheating, you gotta read it. Um, I, okay, so I cheat. Uh, I, but I love, I love to watch great epic stories at the movie. Anybody planning to go to Star Wars on the 20th on opening day other than me? Okay, we got a couple of, uh, of fans, okay. Um, it'll be crazy, but it'll be beautiful crazy, you know, and uh, it, it'll be, be a good thing. But it's an epic story and I love I love an epic story you know I even love epic animated stories one that I love do we have any Toy Story fans in the house or it'd be, you, you gotta love a little bit of Toy Story I mean you, you just our son loved the first one our grandson loves the whole franchise. I mean, he just, he, he loves them all, you know, and uh, all the characters, and he, he, he just loves those. Toy Story 2 was probably one of the few sequels that I think was better than the first, personally. It, it just, it, it rivaled the first. It was just a, 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 a great, great movie. And it made me think about something uh, that I want us to kind of dive into today as we start our celebration of the Incarnation, start our celebration of, of, of Christmas and the birth of our Lord because I, I have found a way for me that helps me celebrate the Incarnation uh, more passionately, uh, more deeply and richly is if I celebrate the Incarnation looking through the lens of the coronation which is to me is Christmas story too and so I want us to think today about that that Christmas story the, the, the first one was about the incarnation Christmas story two as I'm calling it today is about the coronation the coming of Jesus to reign and rule as king forever and Jesus, while he was here, gave his, he gave his disciples kind of a glimpse in Matthew chapter 24, his own teaching on this, of what that moment in time was going to be like. And I want to read it to you from the message translation. It may be a little unfamiliar, but sometimes that causes it to stick a little better. So I want to read this from Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Jesus said this about his return, about his second coming. He said, the arrival of the Son of Man, it will fill the skies. Have you ever looked up and saw how big the sky is? His coming is going to fill this. No one will miss it. Unready people all over the world, outsiders to the splendor and power will raise a huge lament. People who did not know Jesus and who he was and that he was coming back in that moment, there's going to be lamenting from them as they watch the Son of Man blazing out of heaven. Man, that's imagery. That's big, epic story. The king returns. It's going to be a global moment seen by everyone. And friends, it is the heart of our faith. The return of Jesus. The imminent return of Jesus as king. And I, like millions of Christians who have gone before me, who have, who have taught me that I've learned from, have found a, that celebrating just one day isn't enough. 
that there's a way to celebrate throughout the entire month of December uh, through something called Advent. And that is the, the looking... Ad, Advent basically means sent. I mean, just, it's kind of the short... It's, it's being sent. And Jesus was sent by God the first time. He's going to be sent a, a second time. And so we want to think about and pray through and look at the beauty of the coming coronation of our King because it will make your celebration of the Incarnation... All the more. And I know that's what we're looking for is to, to be able to have a different kind of Christmas. And that's what our hope is in. Our hope is in this coronation. So as we go through Advent this season, and I hope you will. Uh, in fact, we want to help you, help you do that. Uh, you may have saw these on the way in or uh, at least I hope you will on the way out. There are tables by each of our exits. And on those tables are Advent devotionals. They're, they're a daily devotional to help you prepare your heart for a, a different kind of a Christmas celebration. And so I want to encourage you to pick one of these up. If you would do one per household, that would be really helpful because we want to try to make sure every household gets one. And there'll be a tendency, some will think, well, you know, Carol's not here today, so I'm going to get one for her. And Bob's not here today, I'm going to get one. How about just get it for yourself and your household, and then we'll let Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice figure it out on their own. You know, they'll get theirs later. Okay? So, but I hope you will walk through, um, and I just pray that you will join uh, us as a family walking through looking at the hope that we have in the imminent return of Jesus as we look at the manger scene, as we look at the birth and incarnation of our Lord. The other thing that I hope you're going to do uh, starting today and running until, until Christmas Day, maybe even past it, is I hope you will start saying Merry Christmas with great frequency and fervency. And here's why. Believe it or not, that is a phrase that is packed with theological meaning. It is rich. If you go back and study etymologically the roots, origins of those two words coming together. Basically, this is when you say Merry Christmas, what you were saying is, it makes me glad God sent Jesus and I hope it makes you glad too. That, that's literally, if you do, do the etymological study, you will find that that's what it means. I am so glad that God sent Jesus and I am. hope you're glad too. So say it. Say it with joy. Say it often. Uh, but, but say Merry Christmas. Let's practice. Okay. Here we go. On three. One, two, three. Merry Christmas. Ooh, some of you even kind of had an animated smile. I love it. Do that out yonder, okay? People, people need to know about the joy of the Lord. And, and you have him. Now some of you hide him really well. But, 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 but unleash him. And the best way that I know for you to do that is to be filled with the hope of his return. And so that's what I want us to think about today is the return of our Lord. I think it sets Christmas up. In fact, here's what we're going to be doing to prepare our hearts for Christmas. We're going to be looking at the Christmas backstory for the next few weeks. So we're going to spend some time back in the Old Testament, really kind of looking behind the scenes, backstage pass kind of thing, looking at the Christmas story to prepare our hearts for it. So we're going to be looking kind of into the past and we're going to be looking ahead through Advent. And I'm hoping God's going to do some great things to help you celebrate um, just the incarnation this year. So I want to start by taking you to um, a letter that Paul wrote. He wrote two letters to a church at Thessalonica. And 
The folks there were confused about a lot of things, but one of the things they were deeply confused about for a long period of time, obviously, was the second coming of Jesus. So Paul has to reference it in the very first letter he writes to them and he, he has to reference it in the second letter and go into more detail when he writes to them. And I want us to kind of look into that to prepare our hearts to really celebrate this Christmas. Um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 7. And Paul writes these words. And to grant relief to you who were afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed to this end we will always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when you read either 1 Thessalonians, that first letter, or 2nd, and I would encourage you maybe one day just to, to sit down and read both of those letters, one right after the other, one of the things you'll see just prominently is, is Paul having to address the second coming of the Lord. And here's kind of what happened. Paul went into Thessalonica with a mission team, and they evangelized. And uh, several came to know Christ, and a church got planted there, and Paul stayed there for a while. We know at least three Sabbaths teaching folks. So uh, at least a span of three weeks. Historians, theologians believe it was significantly longer than that, but we, we know it was at least um, on, on three weeks. And he began teaching them, and obviously he taught them something about the, re, the return of Christ. Paul would definitely do that for, for new believers to know that they have this hope uh, in, in the return of Christ. And so he, he, he goes away and he writes them the first letter that he sends them, and he gets a report back about what happened uh, from his first letter. And so in his second letter, the opening remarks are he's excited. It's kind of a mixed reports he's gotten. He's excited about the growth of the, the Thessalonians in Christ and how they're persevering in some un unbelievable persecution. They're persevering in the midst of that. So he's writing to them, celebrating that, but at the same time, trying to clarify in the midst of some obvious confusion. Because between his first letter and his second letter, historians will tell us, and the text that we're going to read hints at this in some ways, but it seems that there was another letter sent, not written by Paul, but had been, somebody had signed Paul's name to it. And in the midst of this persecution, they were crying out to God, wondering, why, Lord, why are we going through this? And the letter apparently said, the reason that it's so bad is because you're going through the great tribulation. You missed the rapture. It already happened. And they were devastated. They were, they just, and Paul in his second letter is writing back trying to clarify against that lie. And so Paul's having to write truth and speak it into a lie. Friends, we're going to have to do that in this culture. There are going to be lies that are raised up about our Lord. And we need to, we need to be able to speak truth into that. We need to do it in love. But we need to be able to speak truth in, in, into lies. So Paul straightens them out to send them this second letter. And it kind of has this, what I'll call an, an end time chronological you know, map of what's got to happen before Christ returns. 
And we're going to look at that. But before we do that, I want to connect you back to the Christmas story. Now, one of the people that traveled with Paul in lots of his missionary journeys was a guy by the name of Luke. And many of you know he wrote a gospel. He also wrote the book of Acts. He wrote about the conversion of those and the birth of the church in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. Even though Luke wasn't actually there, he got reports and he wrote about the conversions of folks and, and, and the launching of the church there and some of the tension and turmoil and persecution that had broken out. But Luke also wrote a gospel. And I want to go back to that if you would. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read from there in just a second. And in Luke chapter 1, we're going to see what the angel who came to Mary said to her concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's tied to what we're looking at today. Luke chapter 1 verse 31 through 33 says this, And behold, angel speaking to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Friends, that literally happened. That's history. Mary had a baby. She named him Jesus. All that actually happened. Verse 32. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Jesus was great. Jesus is great. He, he is great. He is the son of God. He's the son of the most high. Watch the rest of this. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now it speaks not only of the Jesus who redeemed, but the Jesus who reigns and is going to reign forever. It speaks not only of his first coming, but that he is coming again and, and will sit upon this throne of David. He'll rule over the house of Jacob, the house of God's people forever and ever. Now the most glorious historic event of our past is the first time Jesus came. The first time that he came, lived as a suffering servant, died a cruel death, and was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father. That he, that he came to earth and did that. But the most glorious fact in the future is that he's coming back as a conquering king. He, he is coming back. Now, <clears throat> I, I've, I've had the privilege to serve in the local church uh, for over 38 years now. And, and during that time, I have, um, I have attended, we'll just say, my fair share of funerals. Participated in some, attended a lot. Um, most, I am grateful to say, were for people who had trusted Jesus. And I know where their hope was, and I know I'm going to see him again. But there have been some, when I would be beside a, a, a coffin or at a cemetery with a family who does not know Jesus, who didn't know Jesus, or didn't know if their loved one did. And folks, it is a, it is a terribly different moment for them to have no hope, for them to believe that this is all there is, that this death, this disease, this sickness took them, this tragedy took them, and they're just being lowered in the ground, and that's it. And they are crushed, and they are broken, and they don't know what to do. But see, you and I know there's more. We know that that's not the end. It's not the end for anybody. Jesus is coming again. 
And, and Paul writes in his first letter to the church what that will be like, what that experience will be like for those who are in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Paul says this, For the Lord himself will descend, this is when Jesus comes, from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. From that point forward, we will always be with the Lord. And the apostles, all of the apostles were aware of this teaching. They knew about it. Jesus had told them this. It's why the, the apostle John had been given the incredible vision of the book of Revelation. I mean, man, just a mind-blowing vision that he had been given. And he was told to write it down. And so he gets to the end of this vision. He's written it all down. This incredible, you talk about an epic story. Just the book of Revelation is this epic story. And he gets to the end of it. And the only thing that he can say is he closes it kind of this way. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. In the mid, out of all of that epic, even so, Lord Jesus, come. And, and I want to tell you, I, I shared this with you a, a while back. I, I have begun more regularly engaging with the persecuted church around the world and praying for them. Uh, I made some suggestions on how you could do that. And one of the things that it has caused me to do with greater fervency... Sometimes we think that this is only for American Christians. This is for the church around the world. And much of it is suffering. And I have found myself praying Revelation chapter 22 verse 20 more frequently than I ever have. When I, when I read and I pray for them and I think about what they're enduring. I just, I pray that prayer... Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Just come, Jesus. Now, his, his first coming, his first coming, he came in the flesh. His second coming, he's coming in, in like manner, but with power. He's coming again. And there is going to be, there's going to be an incredible contrast between his first coming and his second time. When he comes again, a big part of what he's going to do is he's coming as a righteous judge on those who refused him, who rejected him and his rightful authority. Listen to, to what Jude wrote about this. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with count, countless thousands of his, his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults and ungodly, that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He is going to come and deal with sin. He's going to come and deal with those who have persecuted his church. You know, he came the first time as a messenger of love. When he comes the second time, he's coming as a righteous judge, the scripture teach. He came the first time, man, it was humble, he was a babe. I mean, he was a deity in a diaper. I mean, that's basically what he came as. But when he comes back again, he's coming back as the risen king, Lord of, of everything. You know, he came as this humble Nazarene. But when he comes back, he's coming as the ruler of the entire, entire universe. He, he came the first time and he was despised and rejected. But listen, listen to how Paul writes about his return. In, in 2 Thessalonians 1.10 he says, When he comes on that day 
to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. When, when he comes back, it, we're, we're just going to be in awe. Those who believed are going to be, it's going to be incredible. And so I believe, and I have personally experienced, a greater celebration, a greater depth of understanding and experiencing the incarnation as I look at it through the lens of the coronation. And I want to help you do that because I believe it can bring you greater, greater Christmas cheer. And then when you say Merry Christmas, you'll do it smiling. And people might believe that you're really merry about Christmas. And the way I want to help you do that is point to three things that I think that can give you true Christmas cheer related to the coming king. And here's the first one. Because Jesus is returning as a king, I don't need to live distraught. I don't need to, 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 to only see my life as being distressed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. It says, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted. This is about his coming. Uh, New King James put it this way. And to give you who are troubled rest. I don't know if any of you feel like you need some rest from your troubles. Some of you do because I've, I've had the privilege of praying with you about some of those troubles. Some of you feel overwhelmed. Please hear me say this. This isn't all there is. It, it ain't over yet. He, he, he's coming back. Those of you that are distraught and troubled today, Paul is writing to you about the second coming, inviting you to rest in that. To have relief in that. Live in the hope of Jesus' return. Now some of you might say, no, Joe, okay, I know about that, but man, it's dark right now. Joe, have you watched the news lately? Yes, I've seen the news. I try to keep up with the news feeds every now and then. Is it dark out there? Absolutely. Some of you are saying, but Joe, you don't know what's going on in my house, man. It is dark in my home. My family is falling apart. Things are fried financially. It, it, my body is, is decaying. I, I've got this, this, Joe, you don't know. Well, Jesus does. And Jesus wants you to know he's coming to take care of that mess. He's coming back and all of that, he's going, to, he's going to deal with that. And he will give you the strength of hope now to face that knowing that he's going to return. And I want to give you a couple ways to, to really be strengthened so that you're not living a life that's so distraught. I want to give you three things to meditate on. Okay, come straight out of this passage. I didn't put them in your notes, you'll have to write them down. They're going to come up on the screen. First of all, meditate on who is coming. Meditate on, on who is coming. Look back at verse 7. It says, And to grant relief to, to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when who comes? The Lord. When he's coming back, he's coming back as the Lord. The Lord of all. That's who Jesus is coming back as. See, friends, sometimes we think about the second coming as an event. Quit looking for an event and start looking for a person. Look for the person of Jesus, the incarnate one, who's coming back for his coronation. And he's coming back with power. He is going to be the Lord of all. He is, but all doesn't know it yet. He's coming back that way. We're looking for the person of Jesus. And the Bible says he's going to be revealed. And when he's revealed, he'll be revealed as the Lord of Lords. Now, today, right now, 
in our world today, he is still being despised and rejected. Anybody heard his name used recently? In vain? As a curse? The name of Jesus? Frivolously used? He's despised. Some of you work in environments where he is mocked and ridiculed. And it's hard on you. We, we live in a world like that. But I want you to know when he comes. I want you to look at what Paul writes again in verse 10. He says he's coming to be glorified in his saints. And to be marveled at among all who believe. Now if you've never trusted. If you've never decided to trust Jesus. Then you're not one of the saints. That passage that said he's coming in, in his saints. If, if you haven't trusted Christ, you're not one of those saints. And his second coming will probably strike you with terror. But for those who are his, what you're, what you're going to do is you're going to marvel. You're going to be, you're just going to, he's going to be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in all of your life. That's who's coming. It's, it's the Lord Jesus. Say that with me. The Lord Jesus. You need to say that to yourself. Regular, that's preaching the gospel. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And, and that our hope is in that. It's that same Jesus that rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Of whom the angel said this to the disciples in Acts chapter 1. They, they, had, they had just watched Jesus ascend on a cloud into heaven and disappear. They, they can't see him any longer. And there are angels there and they look at these disciples standing there and they say, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, watch this, will come in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back and it's going to be seen by all. It's going to be incredible. That's the who. He's the Lord Jesus. Secondly, you need to meditate on the when of his coming. Not the W-I-N, even though it's going to be a when. But the W-H-E-N. The when of his coming. Not just the who, but, but the when. And, and verse 10 again tells us about that day. It says, when he comes on that day. When. Say that word with me. When. Not if. It's not, you know, if and or but. It, it's when. Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. Now some of you are getting a little bit excited, I see, about that. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, Joe's going to tell us when. Joe's go he's about to give us a date. I am not. I am not that dumb. I I'm not that silly. There have been far too many people who have been, however. I mean, there, there are people who have set out and said, Jesus is coming back on that date. And some of them have looked pretty silly. Some of them felt so ridiculous about their decision that they had to go start a whole new religion. You know that happened, don't you? That's how the Jehovah's Witnesses came about. In, in 1847, you, you check this out, a guy by the name of Charles Russell made a prediction to a group of Jesus followers that Jesus was coming back on a certain date in 1847, and he didn't. And so he dug in and he started looking for new predictions, and he never really got a date, but his predecessor, a guy by the name of J.F. Rutherford, 
said that Jesus is coming back on October 1st of 1914. And when nobody saw him, this is what Rutherford did. He said, Jesus came back invisibly. I'm being serious. You check out, this is historic. You check this out. And, I mean, this is going directly against what the angel said would happen. In Acts 1 that we read a minute ago that he was going to come back against Jesus' own teaching that everyone was going to see and know. And that's how that, that whole movement got started. Because somebody was trying to save face over a lie that went south on them. And see, Jesus warned his people... Don't get caught up into those speculations about that. Both Mark and Matthew record this. Matthew records in Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day, that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of, uh, of heaven, nor the Son. Jesus didn't know. When he made this statement, he didn't know. But only the Father. You know, anyone who dares to try to pick out the date and, and time is declaring they know more about that than Jesus does. They're setting themselves over and above Jesus. And, and God's word condemns that. Yet, there is going to be a win. There, there is going to be that day. Third practical thing that I would encourage you to meditate on is the glory of his coming. The glory that's going to accompany his coming. Look at this. It says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all. That word marvel, it's not about the comics. Okay? It's, it's the word awe. It's the word, oh my, oh my word. Oh, you're going to admire him. See, when you see Jesus next... He is not going to be that little baby, you know, that Ricky Bobby was so fond of. It's going to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming back in, in, in power. He's coming back and he's going to be glorified and you're going to marvel at him. Here, I want to tell you a couple of things I think you're going to marvel at. I think one of the things, and it's in the text here, you kind of got to look for it, but it's in the text here. I think we're going to marvel at the transformative power of his love. Because here's, you know, it says he's going to be glorified in the saints. Who are those people? Well, let me tell you who those people are. They're going to be those who had been stubborn and unbelieving and wicked and prideful and arrogant and self-righteous and ignorant and blind who stumbled in darkness, who had been demonized by drugs and alcohol and greed. And they're going to look a lot like y'all. And they're going to look a lot like me. Because that's who the saints are. Those who have been transformed by the, the, the transformative love of Jesus. And on that day we're going, to be, we're going to be blown away by it. By his transforming love. How he changed us. Because on that day the Bible says when he appears we're going to be like him. And so, dude, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be so blown away at his amazing grace because you're going, we're going to be together and we're going to see Jesus and then you're going to look across the room at one another and you're going to look like him. You're going to be spotless. You're going to be without sin. And for some of you, that's a stretch because I know you. It's going to be a beautiful transformation. His love is powerful and transforming. His grace is... Now do you understand why you're going to go... Why you're going to marvel? 
It's going to be incredible. It's going to be the best day ever. And it makes the incarnation so much more powerful and beautiful when you, when you look at it through that lens. He's going to be glorified in his saints. And he's going to be marveled at by all who believed. Do you believe? Have you trusted Christ? Do you, or have you missed his grace? Because if you have, then that day will be horrifying to you. But please understand, there are so many people who think it's got to be about something more than just believing. It's got to be more to it than, than just believing. You know, some of you wish that what Jesus had said was, okay, the way to get saved is, you know, run down Ashley Phosphate Road and back. You're saved. Some of you wish that it was something like that. You could go do something. But the reason that God didn't say that is because there's, some of you would die halfway there, you know. He didn't make it a do. He didn't, he didn't say, you know, give $500 an offering plate when it comes by and then you're in. Because there are people who couldn't give $500. Jesus, it, it's, he said it's believed. Now, we live in a day when people kind of attack, they call it easy believism. Anybody ever heard that phrase, easy believism? Now, I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'll fight anybody that wants to cheapen the grace of, of my Lord Jesus. You know, I'll go to battle over that. But it is about believing in him. Trusting in him with your, with your whole... I'm not just talking about some intellectual kind of thing that, you know, just this momentary decision that you made and then you, there was no life in it. You didn't put your heart into it. I'm not talking about something like that. I'm talking about true belief in his amazing grace that will set you free. There's nothing you can earn. There's nothing that you deserve. It's just simply faith, belief in Jesus. And that's what the Bible says. It says these saints, they believed. They believed and, and, and they marveled. It's, it's sweet. It's simple. It's beautiful. In, in Acts chapter, chapter 16 verse 31, the apostle said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be what? Saved. Believe on that name. Believe pure-hearted, wholeheartedly in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus for you. Give your life to it and you'll be saved. Folks, that's amazing. You'll marvel when you see his transforming power come. And knowing that makes the celebration of Christmas all the more. When you look at it through the lens of Christmas Story 2, the coronation... The second thing that I believe that will help you live in your reality dealing with the return of Jesus is this. Because Jesus is returning as king, I don't have to be deceived. Now there's been a lot of deception about the return of Jesus. We've already talked about one. The, the, the church at Thessalonica was confused about it. You don't need to be distraught, but you also don't need to be deceived. Now back in, in Paul's letter, um, in, in the second chapter of uh, Second Thessalonians, I want, you to, I want to read this to you, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together in him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind, or alarmed either by a spirit, or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us. Remember I told you there was a belief in a false letter that came? To the effect that one day of the Lord has come. Don't, don't listen to that he's saying. 
See, remember, things were difficult for the Thessalonikers. And now somebody had written this lie into them about they were in the tribulation. So Paul writes to them. I'm going to read you a big chunk of this right now. Um, and I'm, I'm probably going to have to take a breath in between. But I'm going to read it fast. So just follow along. Paul says this. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God. Or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you. I told you. That, remember I told you. Paul had taught them on these things. I had told you um, these things. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will, will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. <sighs> There's a ton of stuff in there, baby. That is like... I started to say a mini-series. That's a full-blown sermon series. Just, just, just right there. And we don't have time to get into that and, and do it justice. But the main points here is, don't be distraught. And don't be deceived. That's what he said in verse 3. Let no one deceive you. Now, I just want to give you, uh, again, some just quick thoughts. Some studies I did. Some theologians and, and, and commentators that, that, that wrote. And they pointed out, again, these, these Thessalonians, they were going through horribly hard times. And, and in the midst of their suffering, somebody wrote this incredible lie. You're already stuck in the Great Tribulation. You missed the rapture. You know, that, that kind of thing. And Paul writes back and says, folks, don't be deceived. We talked about this. Don't, don't be deceived. It's a lie. It just isn't true. And again, you and I have got to speak truth to, to the lies out there about our Lord. And, and then Paul, obviously, the scripture tells us, he reminds them of the deep teaching that he had given them. And it's kind of like he's highlighting, giving them some bullet points of what he had taught them before uh, so that they will be reminded. Now, here's what you and I don't have. We don't have the benefit of that teaching that he did. We weren't there. It was not recorded. We don't know all that Paul said to them. But apparently it was pretty in-depth. And um, that's why I think there's been a lot of confusion in the church about this for millennia. A lot of arguments. A lot of division over this. A lot of conjecture. A lot of unprofitable uh, kind of conjecture. So much so that the great theologian uh, Augustine, when he was writing about this passage in the midst of all of that kind of conjecture, he said this, I frankly confess, I do not know what he means. He was writing about that passage of scripture about, about Paul in the middle of all kinds of speculation. And friends, every generation has speculated about who this man of lawlessness is going to be. I don't know if you were around in the 70s. It was, it was an interesting era. One of the things that was going on is there were people who thought they had you know, gotten a special decoder ring and using the alphabet 
had come up with who was going to be the Antichrist using the number 666 and a special code. And it was going to be Henry Kissinger. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. You know? Now, every generation's had that. There have been people who said it was Napoleon. There were people who said it was Hitler. There were people who said it was Stalin. On and on that list goes. Further back than that, there were uh, some religious people uh, early in the Reformation who, who said it was the Catholic popes. There has been all kinds of speculation about who it was and guess what they've all turned up as. Duh. You know, they, they were not right about it. Now, here's what's interesting. The word that gets used about the revealing of Jesus is the same word that gets used about the revealing of this lawless one. Here's what I want to say to you. If you will walk with Jesus, keep your eyes on him, you're not going to have a problem spotting the dude when he shows up. Or dudette. I think it's a dude. It, 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 God's going to reveal it. So don't get distraught. Don't get worried. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't let somebody come along and tell you, Jesus is coming. You're in the tribulation. Don't, don't get so worked up about that. Okay? Because it, it, it will kill you. It, and it will destroy your soul. And will keep you away from what's most important about walking with Jesus and telling others about his grace and mercy. And, 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 we, and we need to be doing that. So, here's the deal on this. I'm not going to get in the deep end on that today. I'm going to swim in the shallow end, the baby pool, on this. Because I just want you to see what are the two most important things that you need to know. Paul tells us, uh, really, in, in, in verse 3. He says this. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. There's going to be a big rebellion. And the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. Paul says there's going to be a great rebellion like none before and there's going to be a leader of that great rebellion and he's going to be revealed. And he's going to be known as the one without law, the lawless one, the one against every law, the great antinomian, the great anarchist. He's going to be against the law of man. He's going to be against the law of God. He's going to be against anything that tries to, to hold him back. And Paul points out something else specific uh, uh, about this person. He's going to get in God's face. I mean, he is going to blaspheme face to face God. Look at this in verse 4. He goes on to say, this lawless one who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. He's going to use everything. And it's not going to be just Jehovah God. He's going, to stand. He's going to stand against any religion and all religions and set himself up as the, the all incarnate one. The one to be worshipped. So folks, don't fear that you're going to miss who that person is. They will be revealed. It, there, there won't be a doubt about it. So don't be deceived. Third thing that I want to encourage you with is this. Because Jesus is returning as king, you will never be disappointed. You're just not going to be disappointed. Don't, don't get distraught. Don't let yourself be deceived. And know that you're not going to, to be just d disappointed. 
Look at this, verse 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when, when Jesus came the first time, there wasn't room for him. There wasn't room for him in, in an inn. There wasn't room for him in most people's hearts and minds. And here's the interesting thing. When he comes back again, there's not going to be enough room for his glory. It, it's going to cover all the earth. Creation itself will not contain the glory of our coming king. It is going to be so vast and immense and massive, you, you're just going to marvel. You know, Jesus came the first time to die in place of sinners. When he comes in his coronation, he's going to come bringing those sinners who trusted him to himself. He's going to gather us together. You know, we, we look... We look so much at the crucified Savior on the cross. We, we look at the resurrected, crowned Savior ascended to the right hand of God. But our hope, our hope is in a coming Savior. Look at how Paul closes this part of his letter. He says, now... May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. That good hope is what we cling to. And, and that hope is really the launching theme of Advent. And many of you know that we... We celebrate this. We take this Advent journey together every year. And the first candle that we light is the Advent candle of hope. If I can remember how to use this lighter. Because this is the hope that we have. This light in Jesus. And this, this hope is what will make your celebration of the incarnation your celebration of Christmas in one like you've never had before because what this hope does is it allows you to trust Jesus when it's not easy that this hope is possible because there are certain truths that just abide we have this hope that God Remain sovereign. We have this hope that grace will beat sin hands down every time. We have this hope that the prayers that we prayed earlier and will pray later are being heard by God Almighty and He is answering them. We have this hope that this Word, the Word of God, endures forever and it never returns void. We have this hope that every day heaven has new mercies available for you and me. We have this hope that the cross still shows the power of what sacrificial love of God looks like. We have this hope... That the tomb that Jesus died in, was buried in, is still empty. We have this hope that the kingdom that Jesus announced is still expanding across the world. And then we have this great hope that he is coming back. He's coming back for his children. And oh my, 
when he comes back, you and I are, are going to marvel. The Bible says when he rode into Jerusalem and they tried to crown him king that day, he rode in on a little donkey. You know what he's coming back on when he returns? Ain't no donkey stuff, man. The Bible says he's coming on a white war horse. And there's going to be a sword coming out of his mouth. Now you can, you can interpret that literally if you want to. I'm okay with that. But I don't think it's literal. I think what that means is those same lips that spoke creation into existence is going to speak sin away. Is going to speak.
come. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.